You are listening to the message by Antioch Center for the Nations. For more information, please visit www.antiochcenterforthenations.org. Thank you. The title of this message is uh, Promised Land, the territory of God's will and the patriarchs, of course, are who we're going to focus on. But I want to begin with a verse from Genesis 28:16. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. So, you know, reading through the Bible, these, especially right now, we're going through the one-year Bible, and, and this is my favorite time of year, because I love reading Genesis, and I love reading about the patriarchs. And, uh, these patriarchs of our faith because they really are our ancestors. Uh, we see some interesting patterns in the story of Isaac and Jacob as they were encountering God in personal ways. Both of them actually beginning with Abraham, his encounter with God, and then moving up toward what God spoke to Abraham and that was for him to go to a place he had for him or a, a promised land that would be the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites. There are a lot of people living in that land, but God decided um, that he would send Abraham to that place. So he called actually Terah, his father, to go to this land, but Terah settled in Haran. In fact, that's what the name of the town means. Haran means settled. And he did not go on, so that's why, in fact, God had to tell Abraham, come out of your father's house because God still had a plan. And the plan was that they go to this other place. And I really have not thought so much about how important this geographic location is to God until I started looking at it in this message. And I started doing more research about the promised land and about the fact that the promised land is not something given up. The end of all things will focus on that land. And the culmination of the age, the end of this world, will come down to the judgment. When Jesus comes back for us, when he comes to rule and reign, that's where he's coming, to that land, to that place. Now, right now in spirit, we are not bound specifically to a physical domain because we are spiritual, which means we have no boundaries. So the way I look at this is the territory of the promised land is the territory of the will and the purpose of God for our life. We need to dwell there. We need to be there. So looking at this uh, metaphorically, as I was studying these encounters, I found that these encounters that, that the patriarchs had usually happened when they were going into or out of that jurisdiction or the promised land. In fact, on the border. Uh, that's Penuel. That's the region where Bethel was named. There's names of places, the altars, where encounters took place and the patriarchs marked the ground. They all happened to be basically on the border of the promised land and God spoke when the people were going in and out of that place. But one thing about the patriarchs is all of them were subject to God's purposes. They were listening to his voice. It started with Abraham believing God and then it being counted unto him as righteousness. So the promised land represents the will of God for our lives. In Genesis 26 verse 1 says, Now there was a famine in the land besides the previous famine in Abraham's time. And Isaac went to Abimelech 
king of the Philistines in Gerar. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands. And through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him, keeping my commands, my decrees, and my instructions. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. Now Gerar, of course, is within the confines of that promised land. It's in that place. And here God is telling him, look, don't go wandering out of here. Don't go into Egypt. Now, there are times he does send people out, but mostly God's speaking, and this is to Isaac first. And, and actually, Isaac never actually left the land, but when this famine came, he headed for Egypt to find food. And on his way there, arriving at the southern boundary of Canaan, he had this vision from God. So it's interesting that he had made up his mind to leave that land. If you go back to the instructions again of Abraham concerning Isaac to Eleazar, do not let my son go back to where I've come from. Because Abraham had a strong mentality that God called him out of a place to come where God wanted him. And so he did not want his children to not be a part of that purpose and that mission or what God was trying to do to establish things for everyone through them in that place. And so Isaac, uh, kind of not understanding or knowing the severity of it, was making a journey down to Egypt. He figured, well, I'll go down there and see what I can find because it's tough in the land. There's no food. And as he was going, God met him and stopped him at the border and said, no, no, you can't do that. You need to stay here. I'll take care of you where you are. And that's exactly what he did. Now, it's interesting because I, I see here that um, this was symbolic of the promise of, of God to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, on down the line. And we, of course, we are the partakers of that promise. Those are our forefathers. And the promise for us is to be where God is. And that's where God was. And God was in that land, active in that land. It's not that he couldn't do things in other lands, but for whatever reason, and we really don't know why, he chose that land. He chose Jerusalem. I've never been to Israel. I've never been to Jerusalem. I've never been to Canaan. And honestly, I've never had a real strong drive to. I've been invited to go on Holy Land trips. Uh, it's not something I feel that God's telling me to do. But I would like to do it and go see and um, partake in that because it is his land and he does have a great purpose for it. But our purposes, of course, are spiritual purposes. Now, I do like the idea of um, where God is. In other words, the blessings can only happen within the territory of God's will. His true purpose for you can only take place within certain parameters for your life. So when we leave that place, we find ourselves out of the purpose of God. I think of the cities of refuge. And in the Bible, there was this, uh, in the law, Moses, by God, designated that cities be prepared for refuges. And he's reminding Joshua in chapter 20 of Joshua, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Joshua, tell the Israelites to designate the cities of refuge as I instructed you through Moses, so that anyone who kills a person accidentally 
and unintentionally may flee there and find protection from the avenger of blood, when they flee to one of these cities, they are to stand in the entrance of the city gate and state their case before the elders of that city. Then the elders are to admit the fugitive into their city and provide a place to live among them. And uh, it goes on and says, if the avenger of blood comes in pursuit, the elders must not surrender the fugitive because the fugitive killed their neighbor unintentionally and without malice aforethought. This is, of course, premeditated homicide versus uh, accidental manslaughter in, in the case that this happens. But back then, remember the law was eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. So if you even accidentally killed my son, I had the right to avenge myself and kill you, which seems kind of barbaric, but it was, in fact, the law of the land. So for God to take care of the people that had made this kind of mistake, he gave first a, a dispensation of time in which they had to be in these cities, and he also gave these cities. And it was really interesting. I remember when I learned about it in Bible school, uh, my Bible school teacher likened it also to the plan and the purpose of God for your life. If you're in God's purpose, you're under his protection. If you're doing his will, then you're in a city of refuge. But be very careful about becoming curious about what's outside that city. There are instances and stories in the Bible where we found people were inhabiting cities of refuge, but a long time went by, and the Avengers knew that they were in this city and they couldn't touch them by law, so they didn't worry about it. So these people started getting kind of free and leaving the city and going to other places. A couple of places in the Bible we see this. So the Avenger was told, and when the time was right, found them and legally could take their life in vengeance for what was lost. But if he had only stayed inside the city, it wouldn't happen. And don't even peek out the window. You know, just stay inside the city. Imagine if you, if you, legally, if you stuck your head out the window and your Avenger was standing there with a club, he could club you over the head. As long as you come past that wall, is a very precise place. And I believe that God's purposes for our life are like that. We need to stay in that city of refuge. And it's important. I think it's a, it's a place of grace. It's a territory of mercy and grace for us, which is really God's will. God's will and relationship with us is all about grace, mercy, kindness. So Isaac's son Jacob now, as we move forward, uh, did need to leave the land to go and find a wife from among his relatives back in Haran. And this is where the whole incidence with Laban came from. Now you know now, as soon as he steps out of the promised land, his life becomes a living hell. Uh, he falls in love with a girl named Rachel, and Rachel is offered to him if he works for seven years. He agrees, and at the end of those seven years, he's ready for Rachel, and Laban slips Leah in there. Um, I don't know exactly how that happened, but he did not discover this until the next morning when he realized he, in fact, consummated his marriage with Leah, the one who had soft eyes, uh, there's one theologian I heard say it. Actually, it means crossed eyes. <laughs> crossed eyes. So um, I've heard that from a couple of different uh, scholars. That, so that would be, you know, you wouldn't necessarily want to pick the cross-eyed um, sister. And so he fell in love with Rachel. But anyway, he ends up, he later loved Leah. Of course, Leah comes an important part of his life. But wow, 
That's the kind of stuff that's going on outside of the promised land. And then he works another seven years. He then, after one week of consummating his marriage with Leah, then he's given Rachel for another seven. That's 14 years. And he said, now I've worked 14 years. What am I going to do for my own family? All the sheep, all the lambs, all the goats are yours. And he said, I'll, I want to work more, but now I'll tell you what I'll do. What will be my wage? He says, what do you want me to pay you? And that's where he said, well, I want you to pay me all of the speckled and striped and mottled uh, sheep and goats or any sheep that are black. The reason was because these had a much lower market value. It would be like telling you that I want all the broken things. I want all the things that are not worth much. Let that be my pay. Laban, of course, was happy to do that. He's like, yeah, whatever. Also, at that time, a greater percentage of the sheep and goats were in good condition. Because by the laws of animal husbandry, they were selectively breeding only the healthiest animals. And so that's what, that's what this guy Jacob could do. He's then took the shanks, he carved the wood in such a way that the animals would see it in the troughs at breeding time. Now, it just so happened that part of the um, animal husbandry or the selective breeding, when those animals saw things, it was imprinted genetically, they would produce it in their fur. Why? So that they would be camouflaged from, it's an instinct. And so if they see a certain thing, there are in fact still to this day, there are many species of birds that have very, although they're identical same species, they have very different colorations because of the forests in which they dwell. Meaning they see and reproduce that. And so Jacob knew this, and there's a little bit of contention about whether God told him or he did it himself. He blamed it on God. Uh, but when the account of it and the narrative of Genesis talks about it, it doesn't say anything about God. It just says that he did these things with his hands. Whatever the case, though, we know he also tricked his brother into giving him his birthright and then also his blessing by putting goat fur on his neck to try to be hairy like his brother. And so this guy, Jacob... Uh, this guy, more than anyone, needs to stay in the promised land. But so he gets... He gets stuck out of the promised land for 20 years. And by that time, his trick worked. And now these animals, all of the animals were becoming speckled and spotted. So he amassed a huge quantity of sheep. He also only used the, the big, uh, healthy animals. And he selectively bred the pure-coated animals to be the weakest. And so, sure, Laban had some nice animals, but they were weaklings and runts because of what he did. So, I find it fascinating. It's a bit manipulative, but uh, God was with him and, and helping him. But we always see, in fact, if you go back and study, also Egypt is not the promised land. And we know there were 400 years of suffering there and the people became slaves. We see a lot of these issues. But anyway, now we're going to look a little closer at Jacob. I'm going to get into what I believe the Lord uh, wanted me to share. He had three encounters, Jacob did, at the border of the Promised Land. Uh, in, it is these encounters that we see and we're going to examine to learn about principles of God's purpose on our life or whatever the Lord leads us to see. So three encounters at the border of purpose. Uh, number one, the first encounter is the promise of purpose. Uh, Jacob left Beersheba, Genesis 28.10, and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. 
taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. So here we see Jacob in the promise that comes to Jacob that had formerly been given to his fathers. And his first encounter with God came as he's traveling out of Canaan again. But it's interesting that he happened to get sleepy at the border. And that happens to be where he felt like he needed the rest. He's going to Haran, which is the very place, remember, that Abraham was called out of. So God was trying to pull him out of those other places to come into purpose. Because I see it like this. We all are part of a purpose that maybe life has given us. It could come from our past, or our ancestors, and often God is calling us out of those things to do something different. Sometimes the purpose isn't necessarily geographic. Sometimes it's emotional. Sometimes it's mental. Uh, sometimes it's uh, your profession. Sometimes it is, in my case, a call into ministry where I was predestined, according to my family, to be a hairdresser and work in a hair salon. And, and I had a desire to be a marine biologist. And I had a lot of different ideas of things I wanted to do. But God found me and called me out of those things. And really, the, the, the business of my family, which was hairdressing, they were very serious about it. And they were very good at it. And I summered with them. I would do odd jobs there in the salon. I would shampoo. I would clean the perm rods out. I spent a lot of time in that environment learning from the time I was a little boy. And so they just expected this would be a good thing for him to be a part of. So they arranged for my education, and I did. I went to cosmetology school. But then when the time came, God was calling me out of that. And it's not that I was a lousy hairdresser and therefore should not do that. I was actually very good at it. And I was a good hair cutter. Uh, my wife, even better. Uh, not so much the cutting as the, the perm color. Uh, she did more of the style. In fact, we would have made a really great team. In fact, the time that God really separated us from those principles was when we were considering what to do with our lives. We, like everyone else, had a dream of where we wanted to live, and we chose the house, and that's where God met us. Actually, it's interesting because he met us on the border of our departure into, I believe, a purpose that God had never intended. And so we were literally parked at the house we wanted to buy, uh, sitting there eating, if I remember right, it was Raleigh's Hamburger Restaurant. The, this was a restaurant you go to drive through, good French fries. We were eating and talking and dreaming about that house, and we decided we wanted that house. And that's where God came and told us that he would give us that house. He said, all these things you can have, or you can do my will for your life. 
And my wife and I both heard it. And we never forget that moment because that was the moment when we forsook what we wanted. And you know what was crazy was right after that, because when we were dreaming and looking at this house on Little Farms Road, and this was our desire, uh, we, we had no wherewithal to get it. But immediately after the decision was made, we had the wherewithal. Inheritances, a home, my, my mother's house was offered to me to take free and could just clean it up, fix it, and flip it, and get the money from it. And also my, um, my in-laws passed on and left an inheritance to my wife. We would have not only been able to acquire that, but probably have paid it off and have been living comfortably in exactly what we wanted. So we were at the border of a real change in life. When God visited us, it's probably the most powerful visitation of God for me and my wife together simultaneously that we had. And that's where he redirected us. So this is the promise he gave us. He said, you come do my perfect will. And, and I will lead you and guide you. And he promised that he would be with us. He did not show us much, but he promised us. And I, I believed his word. So everybody relates to God differently, but if God comes to you, uh, he will speak a promise to you, then you have a choice to believe or not. Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him as righteousness. It's the same with us. He's wanting a, He has a place prepared for you. He has a purpose. He has a will, and he wants you to be in it, and he's drawing you to it all the time. And this is why he's telling him. He's promising. The second encounter, I call the, the development of uh, purpose. And Genesis 32, 22, that night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Now remember, this name means Sir Planter, kind of like a trickster, which he was. And so he answered, then the man uh, said, uh, your name will no longer be Jacob. Your name is no longer going to be supplanter or trickster, but Israel. Because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Now Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. It's interesting that we see how it happened was he sent, remember the bad blood between him and his brother Esau, well Esau was going to kill him, so he just spent these 20 years with Laban during that time, where he amassed enough wealth that coming back, he figured he could satisfy Esau by paying him off for his anger. But Esau was already blessed on his own. So he sent messengers. First, actually, his mother sent a message for him. Then he, and he finally broke free of Laban. He then sent messengers to let Esau know that he was coming to see him. 
and he wanted to meet with him after these 20 years. But suddenly he finds that the Esau is coming to him with 400 men. And there's no explanation what's going on. I don't know, if I, if I wanted to see you and I said, I'm going to come see you, and you said, no, I'm coming to you, and I'm bringing 400 dudes with me. I mean, I would be a little worried. And that's exactly what happened with Jacob. Because he thought, now, finally. And this is a difficult place for Jacob to be in. Uh, it is a hard place. He just came from 20 years of hardship. Now he's facing more hardship. All of those things were for the development of his character or his purpose in God. And God does these things in your life so that you can become what he needs you to be. You're going to have to wrestle with God. And I say, well, it says a man. Well, you know, most people agree this is in fact pre-incarnate Christ or one of the times that Jesus in flesh appeared and interacted with people on earth. And so God met him in this form. And it's also why he did not disclose to him who he was. Angels were not afraid of giving names. They said it. I am Gabriel. You know, they would tell you who they were. So that was really not the issue. He said this, this was uh, uh, incognito Christ coming and just dealing with people. He also showed up at the tent of Abraham when he was on his way to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. So we see him in interacting. He also showed up on the battlefield of the, the Kedolim Wars to receive the 10% from Abraham in the form of Melchizedek. He was the priest of, um, of Salem. And so here we see that Jacob is meeting with God in this place and it is in a difficult time of his life. But he prevails in dealing with this. He prevailed. Now what this means, you have also prevailed, you won with men. He didn't mean this fight. He meant what he just did with Laban. He meant what he had previously done with Esau. So he wrestled with people in his life to insist that he got the things that he believed belonged to him. And these are things in God. Now we do see that principle in the development of our character and our purpose in the kingdom of God. It says, since the days of John the Baptist, the kingdom of God allows violent behavior and the violent take it by force. So spiritually applied, we grab hold of the things of God and we take them by force. And so Jacob is doing the same thing and God honors him for this. But God also decides, now that I'm developing your character, I'm going to develop it further, so I don't want you to be Jacob anymore. <laughs> Imagine if God came to you and said, you know what, I don't want you to be Terrence anymore. I don't, I don't want you to be George anymore. Well, that messes with our identity. I mean, we are who we are. You know, when I hear my name, Stephen, I know exactly who that guy is, where he comes from, what he does, how he thinks. I know the good, the bad, and the ugly about him. And if somebody come and said, I no longer want you to be Stephen. Well, that's a hard thing. But you know what happens in this encounter is he is changed entirely. And one of the first things, by the way, at this point, they are mixed. We already know that, remember, when he was fleeing Laban, Rachel stole idols. So they had idols in their house. They had a lot of mix. They were not pure to the purposes of God. It was a process, which is true of us all. We are in a process of changing. And the older we get in Christ, the more we change, and the more we start to think kingdom thoughts and live those things because we still have so much play in us and so much fun sometimes. And there's nothing wrong with enjoying life. He wants you to have life in abundance. But for his purpose to be carried out through you, he's going to have to change you. 
And that includes changing who you are, who you know. Jacob is no longer going to be your name. You're going to be called Israel. You're going to be called the one that contends with God and men and prevails, as it says. And, and he called this place Penuel because it is the place on the border of the promised land where he met God face to face and now limps for the rest of his life. Now, you know you've had an encounter with God when you limp for the rest of your life. And you remember something in you changes permanently. That's a good thing. Uh, in fact, we should seek such encounters. We should ask God for that. God, change what I cannot change. Transform me. Meet me. Even if you have to change my name, I'm okay with that. But we see that in this case, he could have let this man slash God in person with him escape. But he did not. He held on to him, insisting that he receive a blessing. And I have found that to be true in the development of spiritual character. You're going to have to place a demand on it. You're going to have to take hold of it. That's like Bible reading. The Bible's not going to make you read it. You know, you have to dedicate the time, discipline yourself to focus on it and study it and learn it because God knows that everything and anything in this life is going to try to stop you from doing that. Isn't it amazing how many things try to stop you from reading the Bible? All the time. I've never had anything try to stop me from reading the news. I've never felt any resistance. If I open CNN or, you know, and I want to read some news on my iPhone, I have no qualms, no issues whatsoever. It feels so easy and so comfortable. But when it's time to read the Bible, immediately there are things that start happening that try to stop me from doing that. These days, lately, I love my grandchildren, but they are noisy. And man, as soon as it's time, I, because right now, I'm, this year, I'm reading the Bible directly to Sarah Jane. And I like reading to someone. I mean, that's why I did the Facebook thing, but we're not using that this year for ourselves. I'm physically reading it to my daughter and my wife when she's there. And we like to do that. We get our coffee and we sit down and we read that. But men, when that time comes, it can be peaceful in the house, but we pull that Bible out and all hell breaks loose. I mean, the kids are screaming, they're knocking things over. Gigi, Gigi, they're slapping the Bible. If you have kids, you know how that is. And, and it's so easy in that moment to just, I'll do this later, which you won't do later, probably. You, when you decide to do it later, it's not done. How many of you found that to be true? It's a discipline, the development of character. You have to struggle for it. How much more so for prayer? Gosh, prayer. That is the, the thing that is so hard to get that time separate that you can do that. That's why I find myself frequently praying in the toilet because in, that, in the bathroom, I'm finally free. No one. I've been doing that lately because of my home having a lot of little ones in it, but I swear five minutes into my prayer. Gigi, Gigi, Gigi's knocking on the door. I said, Gigi's in the toilet right now, the out in a little while, hallelujah, praise God. But I do get my prayers done. I do communicate with the Lord. I touch base with Him. I often use that term, touch base, because that's how it feels sometimes. You're just like, look, I love you, you love me, you know that, right? And you just kind of establish, because you know life itself is pushing you. You're going to have to take it. You're going to have to fight for it. Uh, to get a blessing, you're going to have to wrestle, and it's going to hurt you. And it will stretch you so far that you will have your hip out of joint and should affect you for the rest of your life. But he's working on us. 
yield to him. He wrestled with God and his name was changed. If you want to be different, uh, you need to seek for that kind of interaction with God. Third encounter is the completion of purpose in Genesis 46 1. Actually, before I read this, I think of the scripture that says, only those that do the will of the Father uh, will enter the kingdom of God. It seems like a harsh verse. Uh, I think it specifically is speaking of this jurisdiction that God has. He has a place. Now, to be fair, all of the patriarchs kind of meandered around this. And as I was talking about Jacob, uh, Jacob had this idolatry. In fact, the very next thing, this is fast forwarding, but before this, when he meets Esau, immediately he was surprised that he's received with love. He gives him this uh, pacifying offering of animals and money and goods, and Esau refuses it, but he insists. And Esau says, well, come with me. But he knew that he could not, so he basically lied to him and told him, you keep going, I'll catch up, but he went a different way. Because he wanted to be separate. But he made peace. I guess he didn't want to take chances of losing that peace again. But he still had issues. In fact, by the time they went to a place in that moment and settled, uh, those issues came up. He took all of his sons and he told them. They had a, basically a revival of holiness. And he told all his sons, get rid of all of the idols. That means all of his children were worshipping idols. That's interesting, isn't it? That these are the, the, the patriarchs. And they're all involved in idolatry still. It's also all interesting too to see that the, when it says, um, you shall love the Lord your God, I will have no other gods before me. And it means things in priority. Like the word means before. In other words, there may be things even that you're connected to, but God has to be first. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. But in this case, with the children of Jacob or Israel, these are the, by the way, these are the tribes of Israel. We're talking about Reuben, Issachar, Dan. You know, these, are the God, these are the the Israelite tribes. They were idolatrous. And God was doing this purification process through this purpose. And when they came back into the promised land, the first thing that happened was that, that purification. And it was something they could do. They did it, of course, right after that. Their sister, Dinah, was raped. And uh, the interesting story happens after that because of what they do in vengeance. Uh, they weren't made perfect overnight. Amen. It was step by step which encourages me. I'm glad these guys are my patriarchs, honestly. It takes a lot of pressure off of me to perform and be perfect. I know that we are, I'm not saying I have idols and, and, but, uh, and I'm not murdering people and I'm not lying to them and convincing them to get circumcised so that I can come and kill them. Uh, but I do, maybe I do have issues. Whatever the case, I'm a work in progress. We are his workmanship created for good works in Christ, but it'd be good to wear a t-shirt that says under construction. Because you are not finished yet. But there is a time you will be. And God's purpose will be fulfilled. The Apostle Paul said, I have run my race. I have completed my course. One of the most, for me, envious things I feel about Paul's life is that he could say that. And I want one day when I'm 120 years of age, I want to be able to say that. I have done this. Jesus said, it is finished. 
He did everything. He said, I gave them everything you gave me. There's a time that we can come to the fulfillment or the fullness of what God called us to do. It might be after a lot of issues and problems and difficulties, but maybe in that last moment between two pillars with your eyes gouged out, you can pull that temple down and kill more Philistines, at least do more for God in the last moments of your life than you did. And a lot of people do that too. There's a lot of great ministers that did not really do the great things they did until the end. They were old when it really happened. Uh, you see great ministries that do not come about until after 40, 50 years of service to Christ. Because why? Because they're in a process. They're being worked on step by step. And yield to the process and be patient and just do what God tells you to do. But here we see the completion of purpose. So Israel set out with all that was his. And when he reached Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in a vision at night and said, Jacob, Jacob, here I am. He replied, I am God, the God of your father, he said. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again. And Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. Now this is interesting. Then Jacob left Beersheba, and Israel's sons took their father Jacob and their children and their wives in the carts that Pharaoh had sent to transport him. So Jacob and all his offspring went to Egypt, taking with them their livestock and the possessions they had acquired in Canaan. Jacob brought with him to Egypt his sons and grandsons and his daughters and granddaughters, all his offspring. Now this is fascinating because God said, I will take you back to this promised land. He said, I'll be with you when you go out, but I will bring you back. And Joseph will close your eyes in death. And so when he died, Joseph would be there to close his eyes and he would perish. Where did he die? He died in Egypt. So how did he bring him back? Well, he left instructions that his bones be taken back to the promised land. And 400 years later, one of the first things they did was pack up this old guy's bones and carry them back to the promised land to bury them there. So it's funny how God sees life differently than we do. But he completed his purpose. Uh, he did everything he was supposed to do. His last thing he did was lay hands crisscrossed on Ephraim and Manasseh, uh, also transferring the blessing from the younger to the older and the older to the younger. And that's where Joseph said, no, Father, and straightened his hands out. And he says, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, and he, and he, he did it on purpose by what God sent him to do. Or maybe he just did it because he always was angry that Esau is the one that deserved supposedly, but he despised it. Whatever the case, he, he fulfilled his purpose, and I know that you can fulfill your purpose in God's promised land for you. So this last encounter occurred when his sons brought him down to Egypt to live with his lost son Joseph. Now all these encounters show us that God had claimed the land of Canaan as the particular place where he would dwell with his people. And the early patriarchs he entered it 
and left it only with his permission and at his direction. In other words, when they did leave, either they were by chance leaving and did not know how important it was and stopped by God, or God told them to do it and was leading them and guiding That means that there may be a perfect place for you, and you know it, but you seem very distant from it, and you almost would seem like God is bringing you in the wrong direction. Uh, be patient with him. It may take 400 years, but your bones will come back. Of course, we're looking at the metaphor of it. Uh, you yourself will fulfill the purposes of God. Just be where God wants you to be. But I believe that there is this. Now, this is interesting, too, because way later on, after those 400 years, Joshua chapter 5, verse 13, and we're going to end with this. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. This is interesting because this was the moment when after 400 years, finally Joshua was leading the people, when he crossed that border, he met this angel with this sword and told him, you've arrived. Well, where have I arrived? Well, take off your sandals. This place is holy. This is God's holy place. And he knew then that he was where he had to be. And of course, that was 400 and... 40 years because of the 40 years wandering in the wilderness. Also true that they came to the border to go into Canaan and did not have faith. So we see also you need faith to be able to live in the promised land of God for your life. So these are the things we saw. The promise of purpose, uh, the development of purpose, and the completion of purpose. Three encounters at the the border. God has a place for you. He has a purpose and he's going to fulfill it. And you might say, well, you know what? You're always talking about purpose, but you're not really helping us find it. Uh, because the Bible is very specific about you finding it yourself. And you are on a road of discovering what is the promised land for you? What is the thing that he has for you? If you know him, you talk to him, uh, he will instruct you. He will bring you in the, in the absence of clear direction change nothing at all. Abraham would have stayed in Terah's house probably for the rest of his existence if it hadn't been so clear to him that God spoke and said to do what he did. Wait for the Spirit of the Lord to say, separate for me Paul and Barnabas to do this work. Wait for God to bring you that place. In the meantime, wherever you are, stay there, be faithful, and God is going to bring you. You may already be in your promised land. You may already be exactly where God wants you to be. And I would certainly hope that that's the case. But he is still not finished. And he's going to do some great things in your life. And it's my prayer that he do exactly what he needs to do. Amen? How many of you learned something? Interesting information about the patriarchs. It's really good to try to get a mind's picture of it. Um, I, I, have, I have a goal when it comes to reading the Bible. I suggest this to you. Make it your goal to know the Bible enough that you can tell its story in your own words. Uh, and that takes some time. Really, the only way you can get it is repetitious reading. Just keep reading it again and again. Reading it out loud really helps, too. 
and that's what I've done through the years. And now if you came to me and said, tell me the Bible, or if we were stranded on a desert island and we had no Bibles, which is very possible because I'm addicted to electronic devices, and uh, I may end up, well, I, I have enough. I could tell you the story from Genesis. Now, I might get a little wonky in the middle of Jeremiah and Isaiah, but the stories... The stories, I could tell those stories and relive them and feel them and enjoy it. And that way it makes it practical, practicable for your life. Meaning you can easily put into practice these principles. Also, God becomes more fluent in his conversation with you. When you know the Bible, all he has to do is say a simple phrase connected to a story and immediately you know what he's talking about. And because he is economic in the way that he communicates, he, he uses that. It depends upon you speaking the language of the Bible. In fact, that it is God's language. And God only speaks Bible. So if we know the stories, and you're, you, you know, if you're confronting some situation in life, and you feel like there's just no way it's possible, I can't, I can't see how I can get past this or do this, he may just tell you David and Goliath. Then you get it. Okay. Yeah, if I, if I do what David did, and you remember what David did in his trust, and put his trust in the Lord, and did not back down, but confronted this huge issue that he thought would be impossible to conquer. He may tell you to be uh, like patterns in the Bible that you hear in the New Testament. He may whisper things, but the only way you'll have that ability to discern that is through your consistent discipline of the Word. Amen? Uh, make it a goal. It's important. It's, a, it's the most important thing that we have. It's the words of eternal life. Uh, everything else is going to disappear, but those words will never disappear. So I'm grateful for them. Jesus. Let's, let's pray. Let's pray.